And for tiny beginnings, you know, in man's eyes, I'm going to ask you a question. Would you begin things the way God began things? Not, not creation. I'm talking about the way he chose his nation in the Old Testament and the way he chose to bring about the coming of Jesus. When you think about how God did that, would you choose to do the same thing if you were in charge of bringing this about? Would you choose the mightiest nation, the biggest nation, the one with most power? Would you choose a small nation? Would you choose to bring Jesus as a babe in the manger? Or would you bring a mighty kingdom that is right off the bat amazing in man's eyes? Yeah, yeah we, we could argue and debate about that all day long. How would you do it? Well, we, we'd probably all do it in different ways. And man has a tendency to do it, let's just say, different than God. In fact, we do a lot of things different than God. We do, well, maybe we do it the easiest way. Yeah, it'd be easier to do it. Shortcuts, all sorts of things. Yeah, we do it differently. Let's just put it that way. We're going to be different than the way God does it. I think differently. He thinks bigger than I do. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are better than my ways. So I'm not the one that, that should be in charge of doing things like that. God is in charge of doing things like that. And God brought about through all of this, through his divine power, his will. And God's will is, is seeking to change people, you and I, everybody. He wants to draw all men to him. He wants to save all men, all men that are mired in sin or indifference. He wants everybody to be saved. And God can change everybody. Jesus can change everybody. Jesus can do it. And, you know, in the throwback to the last, last week's lesson, I talked about, I briefly said something about Jesus turning things right or turn things upside down, Right? And as I was talking to Jeff, as he was leaving this morning, we, or yeah, last week, that morning, we were talking about how Jesus didn't really turn things right side up. What do you, didn't set things right. He was showing us the right way. We're doing things the wrong way. He's not turning things on his head. He's actually showing us how things should be. This is, Jesus comes in and he points out, this, this is the way it should have been from the beginning. This is the way God set it up to be. You guys have flipped it on its head. You have turned things upside down. Man has made a mess of things. Jesus came to show us what God really looks like. The exegesis of God is Jesus Christ. He came to show us that. He's riding the ship, really. So this morning when we're talking about beginnings, tiny beginnings, I want to warn you to never overlook tiny beginnings, even in our world. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here. Anybody recognize that guy? You may not be able to see him very well from that picture. But that's Steve Jobs. Oh, and his garage where he developed Exactly. That's the garage where he started everything from. Everything. everything. A tiny little garage, Steve Jobs. Yes. Big thing comes from Steve Jobs, right? Here's another garage where everything happened. <laughs> Harley Davidson. Yeah. Yes. Starts in a garage, and it, and it blows up, doesn't it? Here's another garage. Tiny garage, big things. That doesn't look very impressive, does it? That's HP. Hewlett and Packard there. That's the garage they started in. Here's another one. This one is not a garage, but do you know this lady? She started in her garage. They don't have a picture of the garage. This is the lady who started Mattel. Mattel. Started in a garage, too. Here's another garage. Any guesses? <laughs> yes, and aren't I amazing? 
No, it's not my garage. No, it's Walt Disney's garage. Walt Disney's garage. Some big stuff came out of that garage, too. And these two guys, after they got done stealing from Apple, they, they started it, you know, <laughs> or however you look at that. It, they started in a garage, too. So you got a lot of things. In fact, some honorable mentions here that I don't have pictures of. Google started in a garage. Amazon started in a garage. Maglite started in a garage. Yankee Candle Company, if they're still in business. I don't buy candles, so I don't know, but it's pretty big. <laughs> they burned down their garage. Yeah. But they all started in a garage. They had tiny beginnings and, and you know, humble beginnings there. It's, it's very, very quaint. Everybody can probably relate to a garage pretty much. And you start this massive business in a garage. Well, you look at Jesus in a manger. That's kind of humble. That's a humble beginning to a very big thing. God called Abram out of his garage in Ur. He said, hey, I want you to start something big. I want you to go somewhere you don't know. I want to take you on a faith journey here. I want you to go with me. And Abram says, okay, I'll go. But that's how it all started there. Some of those things. And when you look back there at Luke, actually don't go to Luke because I want to go to Mark chapter 4 as it talks about the similar thing. Mark chapter 4, talking about leaven, talking about mustard seed. The seeds there that, that Jesus is talking about, Mark chapter 4, 31 and 32. He tells them this is how you should picture the kingdom of God. or By what parable shall we present it there in verse uh, 30. He says it's like a mustard seed. And the mustard seeds of the East are supposedly, you know, one-tenth of the size of the American or the European seeds. So they're, they're really, really tiny. That, that, that picture there is maybe a good representation of a, of a mustard seed. This mustard seed, 31, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And this leaven that, that was read about already, this leaven that makes this bread, taking this, this bread and it's leaven, and sometimes it's from another piece of dough that they've already made, and they, they save it so it gets leavening, and then they add it to the other dough and all of that to get it there. And then they leave a cloth over it overnight, and what happens? That leaven spreads, doesn't it? Permeates the whole thing. Spreads throughout the whole thing. Now, the leaven can be good or bad. In the Bible, you have good connotation and bad connotation with leaven. But here Jesus is saying, this is good. You describe the, the, the kingdom like this. This is a good thing that this leaven is, is permeating throughout the whole thing. In fact, go over to Matthew chapter 13. I like Matthew 13. It's got seven parables. Sometimes I wonder if it's eight parables there with the last one there that he says. But seven definite parables in Matthew 13. And... I think in 13, he's really telling them, this is, this is what the kingdom, the, the explanation of the kingdom and, and the growth in the hearts of men here, this is what's going to happen with the kingdom. And this is how the men, men's, hearts of men are going to respond to the kingdom and how they should respond to the kingdom. Um, Matthew chapter 13, 31 through 33. Here again is the same, similar thing. Here, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Which a man took and sowed into his field, 
Though it is smaller than all the other seeds, when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And he spoke to them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and had hidden three packs, packs of meal until it was all leaven. All leaven. So that, that very first one, that, that when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, you know, that's that, he's saying this is the potential growth of the kingdom. The, the potential growth of the kingdom, it's going to start small, but it's going to be, become massive. In fact, it's going to be so big that the birds of the, the air are going to be able to come and land in it. And then when he gets to the leaven, he says, this is the manner of growth. It's going to permeate everything. It's going to go through everything. It's not going to leave anything untouched. I think it's going to permeate everything it comes in contact with. It's, it's amazing that the, the, uh, the kingdom parables there in chapter 13, God plants his rule here. He plants his rule in the world, and he begins with totally common people, you and I. He begins with those people in 1 Corinthians, totally common people. And he says, I have something for you. I have something new for you. This small little thing. The small little thing that I'm going to sow, and yet at the end of that, it's going to be immense in your life. It's going to take over your life. It's going to permeate your life. Everyone everywhere, all people hurting, lonely, unaccepted people, this mustard seed growth, this one mark of the kingdom. Jesus says, this is how God rules. This is the way God rules in your life and in the kingdom. This is the way God rules. It's flourishing growth and boundless vitality. And God will challenge a person's sense of values, purpose, and relationship. Has he challenged your sense of purpose? Has he challenged your sense of relationship? Has he said, if you're a part of this kingdom, I'm going to challenge you. Remember that, that again, a couple weeks back, maybe now, yeah, two weeks back, I think, that new life, that new man, that new person. I'm going to challenge your perspective here on what life is about. I'm going to challenge your perspective on what relationships are about. I'm going to make you ask some questions, and I'm going to ask you some questions. And this is going to permeate your whole life. His rule provides a radical new reason for living. What he does is he takes people where they are, and he moves them to something bigger, better, and greater. And, and that's a good thing to, to do, because a lot of times we come to church and we think we've got to be good before we get to the, to the building, Right? we got to have our lives in order before we start doing this stuff. And God says, no, you don't have to have your life in order before you start this. In fact, that's why I'm here. Because your life is out of order. And you can't put it back in order. So let me take care of that for you. And let's get started together. Let's start growing together. If you wait until you're all perfect to start doing what God asks you to do, then we're missing the whole message of God. He's wanting to take us who are not perfect, plant that seed in us, and let it grow and let that thing permeate our whole life. In fact, he says, I'm going to take you who are small, and I want to make you great. In fact, go over to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I want you to notice an example of someone who thought he was small, and, and that's what Samuel tells him. This is Saul, and this is after he has disobeyed God, after he's been sent to destroy Agag and all these people, and utterly destroy everything. He doesn't do it. Samuel comes and he says in verse 15, Is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And just, just that little, little, little verse right there. You were little in your own eyes. 
God took Samuel, even though he didn't, obviously, like we've said before, God didn't want them to have a king. They say they want to have a king, so God says, okay, here's your king. But God could have done wonderful things through Saul, and did some wonderful things through Saul, but he could have done more wonderful things through Saul, yet Saul had his, his problems. And here is one of his problems. He thought he was small, and yes, in, in true, in, in, in reality, we are small. I, I'm very small when it comes to God's economy. But God says, I'm going to take this small thing, I'm going to make something great. But Saul says, I thought I was small, now maybe I am great. Maybe I'm a little insecure, but maybe I think I'm great. Maybe I know the better way. And we've talked about that, Saul deciding to do things the way he wanted to do things. And not doing things the way God wanted him to do things. Here, here God says, I know you're small, but I could have made you great. And instead, we've gone the opposite way. I think I'm great. Through my own power, through my own estimation, I've become great in my own eyes rather than in God's eyes. Here's the opposite of that there in 1 Samuel 15, 17. Now here, Mark, go back over to Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> because a lot of times we get into the kingdom, we get, you know, we have our sins washed away, we're starting this new life in Christ, and we're wondering how long does this stuff take? How long before... I grow, how long before this, how long before that? Well, Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, kingdom is like a, uh, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts up and grows. How? He himself does not know. Soil produced crops by itself, the first blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. God's rule, this is how God's rule is. You know, we, we, don't, we don't completely understand the growth, I think. God sows that good news in the heart of the people, and that good news goes to work, and it starts growing. But you're probably like me. You, you, you want sometimes to see that growth happen overnight. I want to be mature. I want to be more uh, versed in the Word. I want to be this. I want to be that. But God says that the seed's going to grow. And you're not, going to, you're not sure how it's going to grow, but it's going to grow. It's, you have to allow it to do its work. And everybody's going to be different. Everybody's going to be different. Have you studied with people and thought, why are you not farther along? Well, everybody's different. Everybody hears different. Everybody understands it. God is reaching people in their, own, in, the, in their lives, and everybody's in a different spot in their life. But God's seed does go to work. And above all, what I think this kingdom work here is, is God is saying, look, this is on my time frame. My kingdom is on my time frame. I brought, it, I brought it about in my time frame. I'm going to make it work in my time frame. Jesus is going to come back in my time. This is all in my time. You, you're going to look at it and you're going to wonder this or that, but it's my time that we're working on here. God's time. Our job is to sow that seed, to cast that seed. Our job is to grow. Our job is to do these things. Not worry about the time, just like he said to his disciples there in the beginning of Acts. Don't worry about the time. It's not for you to know the time and all that. Just... Go do what I asked you to do. Go to Jerusalem. Wait. Don't worry about the time. This timing, this, this God's time, this timing, I'm not sure when it's going to happen. But these tiny beginnings have some very big endings. I think Jesus himself is one of these things. Now, Jesus, in one sense, was never tiny. He's never small because Jesus is God. But he comes to earth as this small baby as this little child who needs help to grow, to live. 
He has these humble beginnings on earth to show us that we go from this tiny to this great. God chose a small nation too as well. Now I want to show you a small from big here in Deuteronomy 7.7. 7, look at God choosing small. He says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor chose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples, for you were fewest than all the peoples. He's looking at the people he's choosing to be his chosen nation. He says, I didn't choose you because you were the biggest people. You're the fewest of all the peoples. I'm going to start small here. Why? So you can see how great I am. So it's, it's through my power that this comes to happen. This is my doing. And God chooses something small to show something great. He also does it there in Micah 5 too. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you one, for from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Jesus is going to be brought back from this little thing. This little thing. You're too little, but I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do great things because it's going to be by my power that these things are going to happen. You're going to have a tiny beginning, but there is such great potential in us because of God in us. Now, only because of God in us, only because of Christ in us is there great potential. It's that quiet, prevailing force that God is sometimes. just permeates everything in our lives. And that timing of God, we think it's quick, we think it's slow, we don't know where t- God is going here. But He has His own time, He has His own purpose. I want to show you a couple other things, and maybe we can relate them to our lives today. Go over to 1 Kings now here, 1 Kings chapter 17 starting. I want to see some small or tiny things that make some very big differences in both direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. 17, 12 through 15. Look at that verse, those verses with me. 17, 12 through 15. This is after Elijah has gone out. He's made this proclamation about no rain. God sent him out. Now he's God is sending him to this woman here. Arise in verse 9. He's going to this to Zephrath, which belongs to Sidon. You're going to stay there. A widow's going to meet him. Verse 12. He, but she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her her household ate for many days. Look at that small to big. I've got nothing here to feed you, Elijah. I'm going to, in fact, we're going to die. And Elijah says, wait a minute, you do this first, and God's going to take care of you. God's going to make something great out of this small little bit. He's going to take care of you. She has the faith to go and make this bread, and God takes that small thing, and he makes it something greater. She, she realizes, you know, I, I'm not in charge here. I'm not ruling my life. Who rules here? God rules. Elijah is counting on God to rule as well. God fed him. God is now leading him to this widow, and he's saying, you, you pay attention to what I tell you, and I will take care of you. Elijah's figuring that out, and this widow is now figuring this out from Elijah that God rules. 
You put their faith out there and God is going to rule. Who rules your world? Who rules your life? Here she finds out from small to great, it's God. Now go over to chapter 18, verses 16 through 40. I'm not going to read the whole section there because that's it's quite a bit of scripture there. But this is where <clears throat> Elijah is battling the prophets of Baal. He's going out there to battle the prophets of Baal there. And he's, you all know, probably know the ending of that story. How they are out there screaming and yelling and carrying on and nothing happens. He makes it even harder for, for God to burn this, this sacrifice, and God takes care of it all. But I want you to look at verse 22, and look at Elijah, what he says to the people here. He says, I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. I'm alone. Now, he wasn't alone. He wasn't completely alone. But he is saying here, I'm alone. God is, he's the only one at this point standing out there too, challenging these people. He's the only one standing out there challenging these other prophets. He's the only one standing out there taunting the other guy. He takes this small prophet, even though there's many other prophets. This is great in their eyes. This is small in my eyes. He takes this small thing and he does something great with it. He destroys the many because it's not how we look at it. It's not, it's not man's estimation of small versus great. This is God's estimation. This is God's timing. This is God's doing. God is saying, this one is great, even though you see him as small. He may be small, but I'll do something great through him. Now, if you look right over at 1844, after that happens, and they seize all the prophets of Baal, they take him, they kill them. And Elijah tells Ahab to go eat and drink. And, you know, there's a heavy shower coming. The rain's finally going to return. In verse 44, when, a uh, when Elijah's up there praying, <clears throat> and he sends his servant back seven times there in verse 43. In 44, it says, And it came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. There again, you've got a small beginning here, small as a man's hands, and perhaps that's the perspective. But either way, what it grows into is a black sky full of clouds there in verse 45. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. God again goes from small to great. He takes it from a small thing to a very big thing. And again, now in verse 19, or chapter 19, excuse me, the first 10 verses there, and here is another echo of what Elijah just said in chapter 18 about being all alone. 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I did not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better, not better than my father's. He laid down and he slept under a juniper tree and behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, arise, eat. He looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank 
And he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Here, Elijah feels small and alone and afraid. I feel small, God. I am small. I'm the only one here. You look back at 1822 where... uh, Excuse me, 1822, where he said, I alone am the prophet of the Lord, and yet he's standing there in front of Baal's men and 450 prophets, all these people. And he's standing there saying, I'm alone. But here he's saying again, I'm alone. I'm, I'm afraid. Position hasn't changed much, Elijah. What's, what's the problem? Maybe you're alone has changed definitions. Maybe your small has changed definition. You're, you're no longer seeing the small through God's eyes. You're now seeing the small through your eyes. And the small really is small because you don't see the way God sees here. And look how God reveals himself in a second here in chapter 19, 1 through 13 there, from small to great. We're going to go start in verse 11, excuse me. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing or still small wind. And it came about when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This gentle wind, this this small wind. God's not in the big ones there now. He's in the small thing. I wonder, maybe that's an echo to to Elijah. You think you're all alone here. You think you're so small, but look at me. I can take something small and make it great. If you're in me, small versus great. God is even in the small things. The small is great in God's eyes. God gives a real picture here of Elijah about who's in control. That man's not in control. God is in control all the time. God is even in the smaller things. He's over everything. Which reminds me of Paul's statement, when I am weak, what? Then I am, yeah, when I'm I'm weak, then I am strong. Because I'm doing it through God's power. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 there. When I am weak, I am strong. 12... Not First Corinthians. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians twelve ten. <clears throat> when he's complaining and well, not complaining, he's entreating the Lord three times. That is, whatever it is he's struggling with, this messenger of Satan that he calls it in verse seven, that it might depart from him. And God says in verse nine, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness than that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God shows us that even in our weaknesses, we're strong. God is strong through our weaknesses. God wants to do it through his power, not ours. He's showing Paul that this is me, not you. I'm going to make you a great man, but it's going to be my way. 
I'm going to give you these messengers, quote-unquote messengers of Satan, as he calls them there. I'm going to give you these things here, but it's for, so that you can see my power perfected in you. I think the same thing is shown to Elijah there as well, that God's power is what is in, in question here. We may have small beginnings, tiny beginnings, but God is the one in control. God is always in control. God is the one who rules, and Jesus says that's the way God rules. He's going to plant this small seed, and it is going to grow wide and large. He's going to make this this leaven permeate your whole life. That's the way God rules. It may have a small beginning, but it has a great end. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes I I feel small. I feel like God isn't using me. I, I wonder where where am I at in my life? God's time frame again. But God can do wonderful things through each and every one of us. He can take us small people, us insignificant people, and make us great people through him. And we can become great messengers of Christ, just like Paul, just like the apostles. Great messengers of Christ. When we allow, when we allow God to use us and to grow in us and, and to permeate our lives. But that, that comes with us allowing him to use us. That comes with our training. You know, like yesterday, I was... I'm always amazed because I, I work out four days a week. It may not look like it, but I work out four days a week. But I'm always amazed when I get to a place where I do some work, you know, like shoveling things and pulling things and cutting things. All those muscles that you don't use in the regular exercises that you use get used. And I'm sitting there thinking, I work out four days a week. Why am I hurting right now? Why do I feel like I'm, like I'm falling apart here, shoveling this, this stupid uh, bark? I hate shoveling bark. <laughs> it hurts. But I don't do it on a regular basis. You know, it's, 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 I'm using muscles that I don't usually use. When, when I do work out, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. You get that transformation of the body, but it takes time. You have to keep working. You have to keep doing it. You have to keep ripping those muscles so that they grow back. And ripping them and growing back and ripping and growing back. And it's, it's a part of growing. And it takes a long time. It takes a long time. And sometimes you don't see the results right away. But you keep doing it. You keep working. The results come. God's saying, this is my time frame. You may not see results right away. But you keep working. You keep growing. You keep in me. You stay in me. You keep studying. You keep praying. You stay close to me. You're going to grow. It's going to take a while. But you're going to grow. There's, it's, you allow this, this, this word to permeate your life, to seek in you, sink in you and, and touch every aspect of you, then you're going to grow. You're going to, to mature in me. God is saying, I'll take you when you're tiny. I'll take you when you're small. I'll take you when you're dirty. I'll take you when you're broken. I'll take you when you're all of those things. And I will make you and transform you into the image of my son. But it will take some time. Are you willing to take that time? Are you willing to do that work that it takes to, to, to rip those muscles, to sit and, and read your Bible, to sit and pray, to sit and, and well, maybe even to sit and not do what you did before, to not watch what you did before? And that's also ripping muscles. It's about a training your senses, training your life. But with God's help, He'll take this tiny you and transform you into the image of His Son which is a great image to be transformed into. So I ask you that question today. I know we're probably all in different stages of our life and the transforming and God is working on us from the day we're born until the day we die. 
So we're all in different stages, but where are you? Do you feel small today? God can make you a great person in him if you let him, if you work with him, if you work out with him. He's ready to work out with you. He's ready to to sit there and spot you as you spiritually bench press so that you don't kill yourself bench pressing. He'll spot you and he'll, he'll encourage you and he'll love you. But you got to get out there in the gym. You got to put in that work to rip those muscles so that he can help you grow those muscles back. I want you to do that today. And if you don't know Christ this morning, if you're sitting there wondering about these muscles that you need to be ripping, we'd love to teach you about the muscles that you need to be ripping. We'd love to teach you about Christ. We'd love to share with you the Savior of all, the man. Almost said the man, the myth, the legend, but that, that's not right. The man, the legend, the Savior, Jesus Christ. We'd love to teach you about him this morning. We'd love to show you who he is. We'd love to show you the man that takes small things and makes them great. We'd love to show you him this morning. If you don't know him, come and talk to us. If you do know him, then live like it as we stand and as we sing.